0: Scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Genesis chapter 3 verses 6 through 10 and the book of Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 5. I want to invite you to stand with me as we read God's word. Stand as you're able. This is God's word. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, I am making all things new. Also, he said, "Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, as I said last week, uh, this Advent we are we are doing a series, and as we like to do every year, we like to share Advent as a network. If you're unfamiliar, uh, our church is part of the Grace DC Network. And we are three churches, but one family. Um, And we are sharing this Advent series together. And I got to kick it off last Sunday. And this Sunday, we are so happy and uh, so grateful to have Pastor Duke Kwan, uh, who is the lead pastor at Grace Meridian Hill, uh, joining us this morning to bring the word. Uh, Many of you know Duke and his Uh, His many gifts, Uh, he is loaded down with gifts and and pastoral love. And I am very grateful to call him my brother and friend. And um, I'm so looking forward to hearing from him this morning. So I want to go ahead and invite Pastor Duke up. You can go ahead and show him some love in here. He did express a little disappointment that uh, our Diana Ross angel is not with us anymore. (laughs) So so I'm going to leave it to Duke. Thank you, brother, for being with us. Grateful to have you. Good
1: morning, Grace Mosaic. How are you doing? Good morning. It's a joy to be with you again. And I confess to being a little bit under the weather, as they say, so I would uh, love your prayers. Uh, Asking for strength from Jesus and from Ricola. Going to need a little bit of that. All right, let me pray. Let's pause together and let's pray. It's true, Jesus, you can raise the dead with just one word. And so we're asking that you take these many words, not one word, but many words that you've given to us through your written word, that you supernaturally give life to all deadness in our hearts. Give us life, awaken our minds, our hearts, our hands. What we're asking for is that you would change us in these few minutes that we have together as we consider your scripture. And so Holy Spirit, please come and descend in a fresh way. And Jesus, exalt yourself. Heavenly Father, answer these prayers. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Sometimes it feels like you can spend your whole life in the waiting room. It was 10 years ago when one of our church members first spoke those words to me. He shared them when he and his wife were going through an extended season of weariness and uncertainty, waiting, just waiting for change. As I've reflected over the last 10 years, and those words have come to my mind at different points in life, I think he was right. Sometimes it feels like you're spending your whole life in the waiting room. Advent, this season, invites us to pay attention to our waiting hearts. Friends, what have you most been longing for, even aching for, waiting for, lately? Is it, perhaps, relief from chronic pain, or maybe chronically unpaid bills? Is it a better job? Is it the hope of romance? A child? A break? I think one of the things that we're waiting for most, perhaps, one of the deepest longings of our hearts is the longing for intimacy. But what's that? What's intimacy? In his book *Grace in Practice*, Paul Zahn, an author, a pastor, describes it this way: Intimacy is seeing into the core of a person, seeing into the core of a person by, but not being repelled by what you see. Intimacy is being able to confess. In the words of Psalm 139, Lord, you have searched me, you know me, and you have not fled from me. In other words, intimacy is being personally near, being truly known, and being fully embraced. And you really need all three of those components to enjoy genuine intimacy, don't you? Because you can be physically near to a person and, at the same time, be totally unknown, like neighbors or roommates who are still strangers. Or you can be known in great detail, but unless you're embraced, accepted, you feel like you're living on a performance stage or maybe in a police state. Or you can be embraced and known, but if they're not personally near, the distance makes you feel disconnected. Intimacy is being personally near, truly known, and fully embraced. And we long for this, don't we? We long for this because we were built for it. And our reading from Genesis 3 and the chapter before it, chapter 2, remind us that this is so. We were built, made for intimacy. In the Garden of Eden, the first man and first woman, they bore the image of God, like a, a child bears resemblance to his mother. They share a special bond. We're told in the Garden, that these two were literally housemates together with the God of the universe. They lived, we were told in verse 8, in the presence of God. You know, that expression could also be rendered before the very face of God. So they were seen by God. They were known by God. They were loved by God, personally warmed by his eternal smile. They daily heard the sound or the voice of the Lord God. They, they had conversations with him. Verse 8 also suggests that God often walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. What do you think those walks were like? And this rich intimacy was shared not only between God and his People, but also between the man and woman themselves. We're told in Genesis 2, verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Of course, this nakedness was more than just physical nakedness, it was more than just physical, it was also relational, emotional, psychological, spiritual. In other words, they were totally vulnerable to one another, and yet somehow totally safe. There was no hiding, and there was nothing to hide. We all have a hope they don't find out that one part of me kind of list running through our heads, don't we? A physical blemish, a mistake that you made a long time ago that still haunts you a personal weakness, can you imagine having no hope they don't find out that part about me list in your heart? No list, no shame. We were made for intimacy, and, and so we crave it, even from the earliest of ages. As I was reminded the other day when my young son lying on the couch shouted across The house to nobody in particular. Who wants to snuggle with me? (laughs) And isn't it the truth? Some of us are still that five-year-old inside. We were made for intimacy, built for it, but we lost it. It's another part of the story, isn't it? We've become strangers to God and strangers to one another. Because when sin entered the world, as Genesis 3 tells us, suddenly the man and the woman, always naked, suddenly they felt naked. Their nakedness felt different. Shame seeped into their soul. See, shame makes us run for cover. We're afraid of what others might see. The filth, the ugliness, the blemishes. Me. They might see me. Intimacy is being personally near and truly known. Sometimes now, that's our worst nightmare, isn't it? Novelist Iris Murdoch once wrote, I hate solitude. But I'm afraid of intimacy. And so we hide just as Adam and Eve hid from God, from each other, from themselves. From whom or what are you hiding today, friends? The God of their walks and their talks was suddenly a, a, a threat. We're told they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. God's face was once something they craved, like a, a child looking for the gaze of her father. The smile on his face now looked like a frown. Where are you? God called to the man. He knew the answer, of course factually, but never before had that question even been asked. His children had always been right by his side. I heard the sound of you in the garden, Adam answered, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And ever since that day, those words have been repeated tens of thousands of times in the heart of every person. I felt naked, I was afraid, I hid. Of course, even that word intimacy, it might feel a little awkward to use of God. Some of us don't even know that God could be known in that way. What we do know is that even just talking to God sometimes is Incredibly hard. I don't know about you, but we're, we're, we're fidgety and inattentive when we try to pray. And you know, the more familiar you are with a person, the easier it is to sit in their presence in silence, right? A loved one, a dear friend, just sitting there doing and saying nothing in particular. What might our difficulty with just sitting in silence before God expose about how in fact unfamiliar he is to us? A stranger, as it were. A lot of us are quick to affirm that God is love, but if you're a Christian, when was the last time you said out loud, I love God? Do you? I mean, really love him? I think you do, many of you. And yet, even still, intimacy can feel like an awkward description, especially when God sometimes seems so distant. And let's be real, intimacy with other people can feel like an even bigger challenge. I mean, can we just be more honest, maybe especially during this Advent season, more honest about how lonely it can be out there? We're made for intimacy. Why is it so dang hard to find friendship in the city? I wonder what your answer might be. We want to be near to others, but only as long as it doesn't violate our independence. We want to be known, but we also want to reserve the right to edit what people know. Pastor and author Ray Ortland recently wrote, You can be impressive. Or you can be known, but you can't be both. Far too many of us, maybe particularly in this city, choose the former, seeking fans and followers over genuine friends. And speaking of, social media, sometimes it creates a false sense of intimacy, doesn't it? Leading us to feel close to each other, closer to each other than we actually are. We just click a button and Facebook tells us we've got a new friend. Gives us a false sense of access, even. You know, you never know when a distant celebrity might actually respond. The other day I just mentioned LeBron James in a tweet in passing, and now I'm pretty sure we're good friends. Right? <laughs> Social media also gives us a false sense of vulnerability. Much of what's shared online is now what writer Laura Turner calls curated imperfection. The careful crafting of the flawlessly flawed version of ourselves that we want other people to admire. We want the feeling of intimacy, but without the cost and the commitment that true intimacy requires. Which is why casual, non-committal sex can be so attractive and so misleading and destructive. For you, it might not be social media or sex, but for all of us, the question's the same. Where do you turn to for your imitation intimacy fixes? We were made for true intimacy, but we lost it in the garden. And we've been filling our lives with its counterfeit ever since we've become strangers of God and strangers of one another. But God hasn't given up on us yet. And do you know the story that because of his great love for us, God sought to restore what had been lost? Do you know this story, this good news of God's pursuit of intimacy with you? We're told a couple pages later in the book of Genesis, he found a man named Abraham, who at the time was a total stranger to God. God made a deep personal bond with him, something called a covenant. God made Abraham a big promise, I will bless you, not because you deserve it or earned it, but simply because of my grace. I will bless you and I will bless your descendants, all of them, and I will be near to them, and I will know them, and I will embrace them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And Abraham's family increased generation after generation, and God kept his promise still the same. And one day, God decided that he didn't want just a long-distance relationship. The God of intimacy wanted to move into the neighborhood So he told them to build a a, a, a special portable tent. They called it a tabernacle. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God told Moses in Exodus 25, a God who wants to be near even sinful and wayward people, a God who wants to know, who wants to embrace He wanted to travel with them as they wandered through the wilderness so he would live in sort of a a mobile home. You know, that's what the tabernacle was, a a trailer, you know. But even then, you couldn't just run right into God's house, just like you can't just run into the house of a new neighbor. You're just getting to know, and God's people surely were only getting to know this God of grace. I don't know what most of you have carved out as your most personal place in your home or your apartment. For some people, it's the bedroom. For others, it's the man cave in the basement. At this point in Israel's history, God let the people up to his porch. But only the priest, only one person, could go into the family room. And it was decorated with Different symbols like trees that would harken back to the Garden of Eden. See, God's mobile home, his dwelling place, was a way for people to remember the Garden of Eden, that time of great intimacy, but that time of restoring it wasn't quite yet. The mobile home was great, but it wasn't exactly like the garden. Even the more permanent version of God's local dwelling place, the temple, wasn't quite like it was in the garden. Not yet, but it was a start. And the prophets would speak of a day of heightened intimacy with God. Sometimes in the Old Testament, chosen leaders were described with terms of radical intimacy. Abraham was called the friend of God. Moses was said to have spoken with God face to face. David was called a man after God's own heart. But a day was coming, said the prophets. A day was coming when all of God's people could be described as such. The friend of God. People with the heart of God. Speaking face to face with God. A day was coming, according to the prophet Jeremiah, when it would be said of all God's people, they shall all know me personally. Personally richly, intimately, truly, from the least of them to the greatest of them. And Ezekiel envisioned the futural arrival of a a greater tent, a greater temple, a, a different kind of dwelling place that had not yet arrived. My dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, says the Lord in Ezekiel 37. But who could have imagined that God's personal dwelling place on earth might one day be not a place, but a person? Indeed, as John 1.14 testified, and the word, the Son of God, became flesh and made his dwelling, pitched his tabernacle, Among us, at last, God's mobile home had become a man. His personal presence became a person in the flesh. This is the story of Christmas, the first advent. And this is why when Matthew chapter 1 tells the story of Jesus' birth, he gives him an Old Old Testament nickname, When he says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us at last. Do you know God? Do you know Christ by his nickname, God with us, God near to us, God knowing us, God embracing us by his grace? Do you know this Jesus who brings us near, those of us who were once far from God being brought near, Jesus who made a way for those of us who are far from God, even running from him, made a way for us to come home this season, maybe even today, will you come home to God. Jesus gives us, as he himself told us, the right to be called not just servants, But friends, friends of God, the right to be called children of God. He's brought you into his family. He's given you his spirit. He doesn't just stand off at a distance, but he's even poured his personal presence right into your hearts. That, as the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3 prays, that Christ may dwell, might live in your hearts through faith. And all this is a gift of God's intimacy given to you even now through Christ. Because years later after his birth, Jesus was also the one who hung on the cross. Jesus was treated like a stranger to God under the judgment of God even as an enemy of God, that we might enjoy intimacy with God. The one who for all eternity enjoyed infinite friendship and fellowship cried out, why have you forsaken me? As God turned his face away. And for all of this, for all of this that we find in Christ, even now because of his first advent, the story's not Finished, And we find in Revelation 21 a grand vision from the Apostle John of what the final chapter of the story of human history will really be like when heaven comes down and fills all of the earth with the glory of Christ. As we're told in verse 5, when Christ himself will finally make all things new. And surely you notice those words in verse 3 that by now should ring familiar to you because it echoes the promise of God throughout the pages of Scripture. When he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. You see, we will forever live in God's family room. We will have finally one day made it fully in the throne room of the king. We are there now by faith. But one day we will be there in person as the very dwelling place of God, his mobile home, his personal presence His intimacy is now poured out upon all those who claim the name of Christ and as that very presence renews all things and heals all things as we finally know God in the words of 1 Corinthians 13, even as we are finally fully known. There's so much more that could be said, so much more that could be said about this grand promise of intimacy that we find consummated in this picture of heaven God's intimacy amongst his people and the intimacy that he produces among his people and yet I want to close simply with this you might be asking yourself pastor you barely even touch Romans uh Revelation chapter 21 Pastor, why did you bring us on such a long journey throughout the Bible telling us this story? And I could respond to that question by urging you at this time to seek deeper intimacy with God. And that would be a good thing to learn, maybe even this Advent season, to seek God and to pursue Him in a different way knowing his intimacy towards you, to pray as Charles Spurgeon prayed, O lover of our souls, be not strange to us. Or I could also urge you to cultivate friendship this Advent, to take one step in maybe just one relationship as a sign of all that God promises that he will bring with final fullness and healing one day that he purchased for us in the fellowship of Christ. And that he will give to us in perfection and finality one day when Christ returns. I could urge you to consider these things, but most of all, I want to bring you simply this. The climax, I believe, of what we might notice in our hearts taking this long journey through the Bible. Of the promise of God's personal presence, his intimate presence. His restorative presence being given to us, now in part and one day in whole. Why this long journey this morning? Because I want to communicate simply this, as God has communicated to us. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you in your marriage where intimacy feels like it's flagging. God has not forgotten you as you continue to mourn the loss of that relationship, even the one you lost unto death. God has not forgotten you as you face the experience of betrayal of intimacy, whether in the schoolyard or in the quiet places of your home. God has not forgotten you as you wrestle with the experience of loneliness and even as you feel embarrassed that you might feel so lonely. God has not forgotten you as you struggle with that besetting sin, that addictive habit that also seems to push people away and even seems to make God feel far. God has not forgotten you as you Navigate what feels like forever long-distance relationships with those that you feel most connected to. God has not forgotten you. He has kept his promise for thousands of years. And the blood of his very own son is the down payment. He cannot, he will not break his promise that he will finally and fully satisfy your greatest longings for his intimate presence within you and around you. The day when we are personally near, fully known, and truly embraced by God and by other people is coming soon. Be renewed, dear friends, with this Advent. Let's pray. We want to believe, help our unbelief, renew our hearts, and satisfy with even a foretaste of even our deepest longings, our longings to be known, our longings to be seen, our longings to be near, our longings to be embraced, our longings for intimacy. Christ, our Savior of intimacy, please draw near pray in Christ's name. Amen.